Friendship isn't the big things, it's a million little things. Hello friends, and welcome to this, A Million Little TV Shows podcast. I'm Mike, and I'll be delving into TV shows that I feel don't seem to get enough love. Over the course of the pod, we'll break down episodes and talk about my thoughts and feelings on the shows. I've always wanted to do that ever since the start of this podcast. It is definitely General Kenobi. Just found myself amused by doing that, so fuck it. How are we all? Hope we're all well. Hope you're doing good out there. Um, we are really motoring through these episodes now. This is now episode eight, I believe, of season two, and is going to be dealing with inside number nine, episodes four to six of season two. So without further ado, let's get into it. Episode four, Cold Comfort. In this episode you have Pemberton playing Andy, Shearsmith playing George, and then we've got Jane Horrocks as Liz, Nikki and Mucker Bird playing Joanne, and Tony Way as Michael. The episode starts with Andy and he's taking a volunteer's job, a comfort support line sort of a Samaritan's or suicide prevention line. He takes the train in and he's told that he needs to stick to the script and needs to just be there to listen. He can't get involved and he can't give out any personal information about himself. After a couple of days of training, he's allowed to go out on his own. One of the calls is just between him and a guy and he ends up in a situation where he needs to go to the bathroom but can't and ends up having to pee in a glass at his desk. He finds out that the woman before him in that seat was Victoria, and she got too involved, and that is why she's no longer there. He meets Liz and Joanne, who seem to be a loggerheads with each other. Liz loves the drama of it all, and essentially sees it as entertainment, where Joanne just tells him not to get involved with anyone or anything when it comes to doing what he's doing. George is his supervisor, and supervisors from an office which is shown on screen. There are several viewports on the screen with Andy holding the main one, and it seems to be detailed from security camera footage. Andy has an issue in the fact that his sister died several years earlier, and he thought it would be a good idea to take up this job because he wanted someone there for him after his sister died, and he didn't have anyone to talk to. So now he feels like he should be giving back. It all changes for him when he gets a call from Chloe. Chloe is a teenage girl and admits that she's done nothing with her life and she hates her parents and she's taken some pills. She's called into the hotline just to speak to someone and just have them there while she drifts off. Andy can't get involved but can't get the attention of anyone in senior management to try and help him out with this situation and essentially listens to Chloe and sings to her as she dies. The next call is from an older woman discussing discussing the death of her cat and how she misses him so much. But it seems that she has several other cats. And and straight off the back of this other call, Andy isn't in the mood to talk about this anymore. And he snaps at the woman saying, Sounds like you've got other cats, so you should be fine. Get over it. And he hangs up. A couple of days go past and Liz tells Andy about a caller that she had earlier on in the day. 
He tells of how his mother had killed herself, putting her head in the gas oven after the death of her cat. And he can't believe what he's hearing, so asks what was the name of the cat, to which she replies Picasso. So he knows that, essentially, the way that he spoke to this woman caused her death. He confesses it to George, and George says that he'll sort it out. The next day, Andy is asked to do some training for a guy, Michael, who turns up. Michael takes a call, and the call is actually from... Michael takes a call, and the call is from Chloe. She goes through the exact same speech that she went through last time, and Andy listens on. He gets freaked out and takes the phone off Michael, shouting down the phone at her and telling her that she's sick and twisted. Chloe calls again. Chloe calls again later on in the week and asks to speak to Andy. As she starts to speak to him, she reveals details that she shouldn't know. For instance, they were having a party in the office, and she says that she might invite herself along. Andy's doing the overnight shift and decides to start to investigate. He looks around the office, and when he goes into George's office to check security footage, he actually finds that there's someone in the building with him. He calls his own desk, and Joanne answers. She sits and talks to him, and he tells her that he's caught her red-handed. She goes to confront him in the office, and as she does, we see George come into the building. He walks down the corridor and finds them in his office, looking at security footage of all the calls that he's done over the years. It was George all along, just doing it for his own entertainment. George flees the building, and the next morning, Joanne and Andy are trying to decide what to do for the best. They didn't call the police the night before, but they have hours and hours of footage of George taking liberties with his job. Joanne brings a man over and sits in behind Andy. She tells him that he's going to go and start his training as soon as possible, and Joanne leaves just as Andy takes a call. As Andy takes his call, it turns out to be George doing another Chloe-type voice. And she tells him that she's done something naughty for one last time. And tells him that, you know that woman who killed herself because of her cats? I told her son where you work. At this, at this point, the man rises from the background, turns and holds a gun to Andy's face as the episode goes to black. Now this episode really like creeps me out because it's so feasible that this could happen. Like, there's a lot of people out there that just do this kind of thing and call hotlines to, you know, at one of the points it's mentioned about having sex calls to these poor people who are just trying to help others and you are jamming up phone lines doing stuff like that or in this instance where it's just someone who's ringing to get his own kicks by pretending to be a young teen who is having issues. It's really worrying. But it's it's a clever take on the episode and the way that it's shot. If you've seen films like Searching, where it's all shot where it's all shot from the computer, it's a sort of precursor to that. So it's a really clever technique and a really clever way of doing it. So I really enjoyed it. Episode five, Nana's Party. In this episode you've got Shearsmith as Pat, Pemberton as Jim. Claire Skinner as Angela, Eve Gordon as Katie, Elsie Kelly as Maggie, Lorraine Ashbourne as Carol, and Christopher Whitlow as a paramedic. We start with a paramedic running into a house, with panicked voices coming from the inside. We then go to earlier that day, where Angela is trying to get where Angela is trying to get the house nice and clean. 
for her mother's birthday. Her mum's 79 and she thinks that this is probably going to be the penultimate pie that she's going to throw for her mother. But she's getting it all pristine and it looks immaculate, apart from the fact that her daughter Katie has a book on the table. So she starts flitting about, trying to get things sorted, and is just running herself ragged. She looks for her husband Jim. She looks for her husband Jim but can't find him anywhere. Thinking he might be out in the shed, she sends Katie out there because he might be watching episodes of Countdown. Angela goes over to the table where the cake is and decides that it needs moving. So as she moves it, she lifts it and realises that her husband is actually under the cake. He is trying to play a prank. He is trying to play a prank on Angela's sister's husband because generally he is the one who always plays pranks on people and people consider Jim as having no sense of humour. Carol, Angela's sister, Pat and Maggie, Angela and Carol's mum, are about to turn up for the party. So Jim puts a plan in motion where Angela will get Pat to move the cake and then hopefully, and then hopefully give him a bit of a scare. Angela is unsure if it's a good idea due to the fact that Pat is having to deal a lot with Carol. Carol, it would seem, is an alcoholic. Jim gets in place under the table just as everyone arrives and Pat seems to be his jolly self. He's joking and laughing and generally making bad puns and and doing stupid things, for instance. He walks through the door wearing a wolf's mask. Maggie heads off to the loo. Maggie heads off to the loo as everyone comes in and gets settled. When Carol is asked what she wants to drink, Pat answers for her saying that she'll have a tea, which Carol seems put out by. Eventually Maggie comes out saying that the toilet won't flush. So Carol goes in and as she does, she takes out a she takes out a bottle of suntan lotion and starts drinking from it as you realise that it's probably vodka or gin in there. She eventually comes out and she's now acting a little bit worse for wear. Maggie notices the spread on the table for her birthday and decides that she wants a photo. So she lights the candles on the cake, which now Jim is under, and wants a picture taken. There's a whole palaver around the picture and the candles nearly burn out, which since it's sugar paper for the cake, it would have just ended up burning Jim's head. So Angela manages to blow them out just in time. Carol keeps nipping off to the toilet to go and freshen up and eventually she ends up in Katie's room talking to Katie depressed she is and how people take advantage of you and whether she would be a good mom. Katie just thinks that she's a fun aunt but sees that something is wrong as Carol as Carol heads back downstairs. Jim tells Angela that maybe she should go under the table. They can still do the they can still do the prank but now it can be her instead. She's not really up for it, but decides that she'll do it anyway, just to appease her husband. As she heads under the table, as she heads under the table, Pat comes back in. Pat comes back in and starts talking to Jim. He tells him that he's got his video, he tells him he's got his episode of Countdown in the car. So he goes out and gets it. As he comes back in, he's waving the tape saying, it was a particularly good episode that, as, um, as the girl took two from the top and one in the bottom. Jim tries to steer the conversation away and takes him towards the kitchen. Jim prepares him a drink and then asks him to go and help him with the cake again. They go over and just as he's about to lift the cake, he starts talking more and more about these tapes and how he shouldn't leave them lying around just in case Katie gets a hold of one and starts watching. He then announces that he can't watch hardcore pornography on the computer. He's more of a traditionalist when it comes to that kind of thing. Jim tries to deny what's going on and... Eventually, Angela, and eventually Carol turns up, 
and she's now particularly pissed. She starts ranting and raving, having a go at Pat and flirting with Jim. It seems that they've had some sort of dealings in the past and that maybe there's an affair going on. Pat's already gone to try and get her something to sober her up, but she doesn't want to take any of it. Katie comes down from upstairs with her nana and sits on the couch and then Carol starts fawning all over her as if she's her own daughter and tells her that I could be your stepmom. To which Katie questions her dad, just as he's about to try and dig himself out the hole. Maggie is stood next to the table and announces, I'm going to get my wish. As Jim turns round, he sees that Maggie is wielding a knife over the cake and plunges it down into it. He screams out for Angela and runs towards the cake, lifting it and finding her not there. She comes out of the kitchen and announces that she's just been out. Why has everything gone to pot in five minutes? Jim goes over to her and asks how long she's been out. She says, as soon as you and Pat came into the kitchen to get a beer, I went. So she heard none of the conversation about the pornographic videos or anything to do with her sister. Jim, by this point, has already announced that he knows what's going on. And Katie is obviously very suspicious. Katie tells her mother that she needs to speak to her. But just then, Maggie starts to choke on a drink that's been prepared for her. Pat has been putting spiders in the ice cubes, thinking it would be funny. But actually now he's put Maggie in danger. She's choking on one of the plastic spiders and Angela runs through to try and help her out. As the chaos ensues, Pat tries to go and get his phone, but ends up being electrocuted, and Katie ends up pushing a cake into her dad's face while he's trying to talk to her and tell her it's not what you think it is. Carol, however, is on the floor with Pat, trying to save him, while she is covered in black ink from a soap that she's used in the bathroom, which is another one of Pat's pranks. Just then the doorbell rings, Katie goes to answer it, as everyone thinks that it's going to be a paramedic, but no one's rung the hospital yet. In walks a paramedic, but then opens his bag, puts on some music, and begins stripping. He gets to his routine while Carol sat on the floor doing blackface, essentially. Jim is covered in cake. There's a 14-year-old girl in the room, and everyone seems a little bit distressed. And of course, Pat's just been electrocuted. He does his routine, finishes... And the evening ends there. Maggie sits in Jim's living room, talking to him while he's worried about what is going on upstairs. Carol and Pat have gone to the hospital, and Katie and Angela are talking upstairs. Just as Maggie is reflecting on her birthday and wondering what can happen for her 80th, Angela and Katie come downstairs. Angela has a bag packed, and it looks like she's ready to walk out. She walks, she opens the door, and leaves with Katie, leaving her own mother and what is soon to be her ex-husband in the house. Now, this was one of the first episodes I actually felt a little bit meh about. It's a good episode, it's entertaining enough, and after the deepness of some of the other episodes, it's okay, but I find the practical jokes from both Jim and... God, I can't even remember his name now. Pat. Boring. I find them juvenile and pointless I find the fact that it feels like a lot of the storyline was just crammed in and it doesn't really feel like at the end there's no proper reveal Um, I suppose that there doesn't always have to be a catch Um, but in this one it was just like oh 
Okay, so she's now got drunk and she's revealing that her and her brother-in-law have been having an affair. It's a shitty thing to do, but it happens. Um, I liked the Nana in it. The Nana was very sort of Nana, really. Like, she's dithering around. She's always got to make sure that she's telling people about certain things. And it was it was a sweet moment. Like, every time that she showed her birthday card from... Done it again. From Pat. Every time she showed a birthday card from Pat, it was sweet and it was... The timing on it was perfect. But, yeah, I just felt that it was a little bit meh, this episode. Fun concept, but I think they failed a little bit on the execution. But they can all be winners. It is still a fucking good show. So I've got to take the L when I can, because it just reminds you of how good the actual highs are. Episode 6, Seance Time. With Shearsmith playing Hives, Pemberton playing Pete, and guest appearances from Sophie McShearer as Tina, Alison Stedman as Madame Talbot or Anne, Dan Starkey as the Blue Demon or Clive, Carrie Adloyd as Gemma, Alice Lowe as Amanda, and Caden Alice Wall as William. We start with Tina being led into a room by Hives. The room is decked out for a seance, and Tina tells Hives that she's never done anything like this before, but it was recommended by a friend. Hives walks into another room and goes and gets Madame Talbot. As Madame Talbot comes through, she's holding a baby which is revealed to be a porcelain doll. As they sit and link hands, Madame Talbot, Madame Talbot starts to speak to the spirits, but Tina starts to get scared as everything around her, as everything around her starts going haywire. The lights are flickering, there is airflow coming through the room, and flames shoot out of a candle in the middle of the table. It's then that a blue demon with sharp teeth stands over Tina's shoulder. She screams and breaks the circle. Hives tells her you shouldn't break the circle. Get back in. We've got to close this now. But Tina is freaked out. And Hives tells her there's only one way to stop this. She asks. And he says, smile to the camera and say, I've just been on Scaredy Cam. It turns out that this is actually just a TV cell. And it's one of those prank shows. Hives removes his moustache and reveals that he's a TV presenter that it was well known. And Tina starts fawning over him, saying that she used to watch the show and that it was a big thing in her house and was wondering if he was now back on TV. But he tells her no, no, they're not back on TV. As the room resets and all the characters come out, Tina realises what it's all been about. She heads backstage and everyone is trying to get back in place for the next big scare. Hives looks around the room and sees that there's a pool of water in the corner. Gemma, the director, is trying to find, Gemma is trying to find the best prank of all time to do like a top 10. And when she mentions about, and when she mentions a prank about being dressed up as a gorilla, Hives keeps just rejecting it. It's been mentioned by both Tina and Gemma, saying it was the funniest one that he'd ever done, with a little boy that wet himself, but he refuses to let it happen. They set up, and the door starts to open, as the new Mark comes in. Pete. As Pete enters the room, he's totally different from Tina. He isn't respecting any of the rules. He is just being a bit of a dick. He's been told by his friends that he needs to come do this. 
and he's just really not into it. It's not his thing. And he's just proven it by taking the piss out of most of it. And then the other side of the coin is that Madame Talbot's not even got her full contacts in anymore. It's all just gone to pot. It's a crapper version of what we originally saw with Tina. And the director can see it and is basically saying, we can't use any of this. He's sworn too much and it's absolute crap. They call on the Blue Demon to come out of the box. And as he approaches Pete, he scares him. And Pete turns around and punches him in the face, knocking him out cleanly. As everyone rushes into the room and tells him that it's just a prank, you're on scaredy cam. They start to check on Clive, but just as they think that Clive's about to come around, he actually dies. They all leave the room and they go through into the back room and start talking about what's going on. Hives is worried about the whole show and that it's going to get cancelled again before it's even started. And Pete is obviously, he knows that it was his punch that killed this guy and he's worried about going to jail. It wasn't even his fault, it was all a mistake. As Hives is left alone in the room, the monitors start flickering and he sees that Clive, the blue demon, is now stood up and he's walking around the room. He thanks his lucky stars and runs back in and goes to speak to him. But as he does, Clive's voice has changed and he's stood in the corner. He's telling Hives how he didn't like it when he was the gorilla. And then he reveals a wet teddy. And Hives thinks all of a sudden, oh, okay, yeah, I get it, it's a prank on me. He goes over and touches the shoulder of Clive. But as he does, Clive crumbles to the floor. Hives hears the voice from behind him, and he turns to look where it's coming from. And as he does, he sees a cot in the corner with a child in it. It starts to rise up out of the crib, and we cut to the cameras again. The cameras flicker, and all of a sudden we see Gemma with the police. She's coming into the back room, but realises that Hives isn't there. So she takes them through into the main room. She finds Hives stood in the corner. As she calls out to him, he turns around, looks at her, and tells her that he's on scaredy cam. The camera pulls out, and the demon child appears in the shop. Okay. So this episode is brilliant. I really enjoy it. I think it's really clever. I think it helps with the subversion of the um, supernatural. And I can tell what it's doing at the end, but it just doesn't pull it off. Even though I've watched it several times and I get goosebumps knowing what's going to happen. I've just watched it now to review it and got goosebumps, and as I relayed it, I got goosebumps. So the effect's there, but I think the jump scare at the end, even though you know it's coming, is just too... It's too played out by this point. Even when it aired, I think it was too played out at that point, because a lot of these shrieking memes were on the internet, where you know people are watching something, and all of a sudden a, a scary face pops up. So it was good, and you knew the scare was coming, but even the scare wasn't executed as well as it could have been. Like some of the scares that you see where it's Regan from The Exorcist are fucking brilliant, but you know they're coming. And this, you knew it was coming, but it was just, it was a little bit weak. But 
it's a really clever concept and it's really, really fun. It's a fun episode from start to finish when you obviously think it's a real seance and then all of a sudden, oh no, wait, it's just a TV show. And then you have the reveal of Pete and you're thinking, how is this guy going to tie into this? What's going to happen? And then at the end where it's just like, oh, well, actually, the subplot in this is the fact that Hives had this show before and he ruined it because of this child. And now we know that the child is the actual spectre in this, the, the ghost, the final boss, I suppose. So, yeah, it was good. It was really good. But um, I just felt that ending was, again, like I say, it gave me goosebumps, but it just didn't hit right. Anyway, this has been a short episode because I know we've got some long ones coming, so I want to keep them short and sweet when they are, you know, a few episodes of, say, Inside Number 9 or Miracle Workers or whatever when I know we've got the long episodes coming when it comes to things like A Million Little Things or Cabinet of Curiosities, Hannibal, The Newsroom, whatever it's going to be that's coming. Yes, I revealed that Hannibal is coming and it's coming next season. So there's a tasty little tidbit for you. But for now, I'm going to leave it as it is. And I'm going to go away and edit this so you don't hear all the dodgy crap in the background. And um, yeah, thank you for listening. And it's always good to hear from you guys. So as I always say, come say hi. And um, I really hope to hear from you soon. Thanks, guys. Bye. Well, that's all for now, amigos. If you managed to make it to the end of my ramblings, thank you. And if you want to rate, share, subscribe, comment, it's all appreciated. Until next time.